again, I'm Tony Payne and welcome back to The Painful Truth, the weekly text and audio journal that seeks to apply the truth of Christ crucified from the scriptures to everything that we do in our lives as his people. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk about going back to school. For those of you who haven't caught up with this, I started a new role in January this year at Campus Bible Study at the University of New South Wales, working there as a ministry trainer about 40% of my time. And the rest of the time, I write things like The Painful Truth and new ministry resources and other things. And that ministry, the student ministry at Campus Bible Study, was really where everything started for me way back in the early 1980s. It's, it's where I learned what it meant to be an evangelical Christian. It's where I was recruited for ministry, as I've been mentioning in a recent series. It's where I learned most of the foundational theological and ministry truths that still drive me, really. It's where Matthias Media started. It's where I met my wife. It's where nearly everything started, and more besides. And in today's post, I'm going to reflect on some of the lessons that I'm already learning from being back at campus Bible study, back with the young people. Although it's certainly been, let's say, an interesting year to be back in campus ministry for all the reasons that you can imagine. Uh, For one thing, for a man like me, just entering the very cusp of middle age, uh, 58 of course, now being the new 40. It's not particularly easy to develop you know, rapport and engagement with these bright-eyed young first-year students in training groups. That's a little bit of a challenge. But trying to do that over Zoom, well, very tricky indeed. For one thing, I've had to learn to avoid what I call the middle-aged technology squint. You know, that where you lean into the screen, your head tilts slightly back to engage the multifocals, your mouth is ajar, brow furrowed, puzzled eyes scanning the screen for options. Uh, this is not a rapport builder with the young people. And I've also generally steered away from references to Rodney Dangerfield's character in the screwball comedy Back to School. Don't know if you remember that. It's a good reference because a bit of self-mockery does go down well. But there is nothing worse than the old guy whose idea of pop culture is stuck somewhere in 1986. So there have certainly been some challenges in going back to campus ministry in 2020. But on the whole, diving back into campus Bible study after all these years has been every bit as refreshing, I have to say, as I hoped it would be. It's not just the enthusiasm, the uncluttered and infectious enthusiasm of the students and the ministry apprentices. That's refreshing. But it's also been an opportunity to go back, for me, to where nearly everything started, to where my views about ministry were formed, and to re-engage with them. But in a new time, in a new millennium, in a new culture, uh, because certainly the campus is a very different place demographically now. And having spent around 30 years away from campus life, really, in parish land. And so it has been a back-to-school experience, even if not quite in a Rodney Dangerfield way. That contrast between parish and campus, it is a bit of a cliche, isn't it? I can't say how many times I've heard people say, well, yes, that might work on campus, but not out here in the real world. 
And like all cliches, there is some truth in that, isn't there? Students do have relatively uncomplicated lives, and they do self-select for a degree of ability, intellectual ability, and they have plenty of time and energy on their hands. They don't realise it at the time, but they really do. And all of that means that it does make a difference, a material difference, in the kinds of activities and structures that you can run in ministry, how quickly you can achieve certain things. And this is different. Things are different in parish land. But is the theology and fundamental structure of ministry different? Well, not if it is theology and not if it's theologically driven, as opposed to being a particular model or activity or structure. Because models and activities and structures can and must change. They have to change as circumstances change, as context changes. But theological conviction, that shouldn't change unless it's mistaken. The theological conviction that drives ministry should remain the same. I suppose you could say, to use a well-worn metaphor, that the trellises need to be constantly renewed and reinvented and they can take a multitude of forms and be built out of all sorts of different things. But the vine, it really remains the same kind of organism. And I have to say, one of the joys, the, the reinvigorating joys of being back on campus after all these years, is to discover that the vine of campus Bible study hasn't really changed much at all. The theological culture of ministry that the staff team is working to spread and to cultivate is largely what it was when I left uh, over a quarter of a century ago and largely what I've continued to hold and to teach and to spread ever since, I suppose. But coming back to school after all this time has also challenged me too. It's challenged certainly the degree to which I've been consistently practicing those convictions in the intervening years. And in this post and in a few others forthcoming, I'd like to reflect on some of the aspects of this ministry culture that have been particularly striking to me, coming back to it after all this time. And of course, the purpose of doing that is not to praise CBS or its leadership. They would be the first to tell you very quickly that we're all just jars of clay, uh, and the jars of clay at CBS are every bit as full of chips and cracks as, as everywhere else. But I do want to share some old lessons that I'm learning afresh and I hope that it will stimulate you to do the same. And the first one in this episode is really to talk about the Bible, that the Bible itself is the textbook, the exercise book, the curriculum for everything that happens in this particular school back at CBS. We, we all know this, and we all will salute that particular flag. The word is central. The word must drive all that we do in ministry. But I found it refreshing to see just how deeply and widely that conviction penetrates what actually happens in ministry at CBS. It's, it's seen in all kinds of different things, in the prominence and seriousness of the weekly Bible expositions, in the trouble it's taken to train students to read the Bible, to understand it, and to be able to lead others in reading and understanding the Bible in small groups. It's seen in the prevalence of one-to-one -one Bible reading, which is everywhere, and I'm going to say more on that in a few minutes. But also, surprisingly, I have to say to me, it's reflected in the pervasive presence of actual physical Bibles. I didn't expect this. I fully expected all these millennials to be thumbing their phones when it came to Bible time. But instead, 
all of them, the students, the apprentices, the staff, they nearly all pull out well-thumbed print Bibles and set to work. I'm not sure I've heard so much rustling of pages in years in Bible talks. As far as I can tell, there's no paragraph in the staff manual on this, no policy that's enunciated particularly. It's just part of the culture that newbies very quickly pick up. And the benefits are surprising. Uh, Matt Smith, who's a CBS grad himself, has noted some of these benefits in a recent article that he published on the Gospel Coalition called Why You Should Ditch Your Digital Bible. And I'm really pleased and also peeved that Matt wrote this article because it was an article that I was going to write, but he beat me to it and did it very well. He said that having a print rather than a digital Bible has all sorts of benefits. An improved sense of context you get from being able to see that the text within its wider context much more easily, uh, the lack of distraction, the ability to focus, and some benefits for comprehension and retention that comes from reading a physical book. And there are some studies uh, that show this to be the case as well. Uh, you can find Matt's article at the Gospel Coalition Australia site. Just search for Matt Smith, Why You Should Ditch Your Digital Bible. But there's also an intangible cultural benefit of the physical Bible, it seems to me. The actual presence of this book in our midst, the word that's supposed to dwell amongst us ritually, having it there always at hand, always being able to be flipped open, to be a constant physical agenda-setting presence in all our meetings and all our relationships and in every facet of what we're doing. It's very powerful. And it brings me back to one-to-one -one Bible reading. Now, perhaps I'm imagining this, but wasn't one-to-one -one Bible reading something that many of us, many churches, many ministries were actively seeking to promote only a decade or two ago? I'm sure it was. And yet, I don't know whether it ever took off in your part of the world, but in my circles, it seems to have largely vanished without a trace. I can't remember the last time I heard someone even talk about it. And yet coming back to campus Bible study and seeing how widespread and beneficial the practice is there, I can't help wondering why it hasn't taken off more broadly or why interest in it has waned in broader parish land. I wonder if we made the mistake of thinking that one-to-one -one Bible reading is actually just a model or a structure, perhaps that organises people into pairs and offers training and multiplies those pairs and so on. Did we make the mistake of thinking that it was a program or a model. As a program or model, any particular model may work where you are or not, may be suitable or effective for your context or not. But the ministry principle, the theological ministry principle of one-to-one -one Bible reading is, is simply this, that when Christians encounter one another or meet together personally, whether that's casually or regularly or intentionally, and seek to encourage or exhort or instruct or comfort one another as the Bible urges us constantly to do, then the word of Scripture should be at the centre of those conversations because the Bible is the content of our mutual encouragement and exhortation. Opening it, reading it, sharing it together is the surest and simplest way to speak the truth in love to one another for the growth of the body. One thing I've been reminded of back on campus is that Opening the Bible with other people and doing it often is not so much a program or a particular model, it's a habit. 
It's a way of life, a cultural norm, you might say. And once it's established as a norm, it works its way into every relationship and meeting and encounter. Are you at the point of talking seriously with a friend about your faith? Offer to read the Bible with them. Are you wanting to catch up with someone in your small group or from church for coffee to encourage them and see how they're going? Pull out the Bible at some point and mull over some of God's truth together. Or if in ministry you're catching up with a ministry staff member to talk about how things are going, read a few verses in Greek together before you do anything else. Now you might say that sounds wonderful, but how does one get to that point? How does one establish regular interpersonal Bible interaction and reading and sharing as a cultural norm within ministry, within the congregational life. Especially when in your particular ministry or church, for whatever reason, it's just not so much the case at the moment. Well, that brings me to another issue I've been reflecting on, being back at school this year, the power of patient culture building. But that's a subject for next time. Now, this is one of the free public episodes of The Painful Truth. It goes around to everybody on the list every three weeks or so, and I hope you enjoyed it, and feel free to share it around. If you'd like to become a partner and get every edition of The Painful Truth every week uh, and not miss out on any of the gold that drips from my lips week by week, here's two things you can do. First of all, you can go across to the website at The Painful Truth and just hit the subscribe button and sign up for one of the partnership plans. Uh, They go for $7 a month or $70 a year, which is proving to be the most popular option, uh, or even $700 for a lifetime subscription if you're really keen. Now, in one sense, I don't pretend that this is particularly good value. Uh, You can listen to a weekly podcast for free all over the internet at present, and I'm sure many of you do. But the funny thing about Christians is that we're into partnership. We love to support one another. We love to support people who are doing work that we value and ministry that we value. And that's really what this partnership scheme is. If you think this newsletter and the writing ministry that I'm doing is worthwhile and you'd like to support it and partner with me in it by chipping in a little bit each month, I'd be enormously grateful for your partnership. And so that's the first thing you can do. Secondly, though, if you would like to be part of the weekly conversation and you kind of would like to be a partner but just don't have the means at present to be so, I fully understand that as well. Um, Just send me a quick email at tonyjpain at me.com, tonyjpain at me.com. You don't need to explain. Just send me a quick email and ask to be put on the free weekly list and I'll give you a 12-month free partnership. And that's no sweat. Be very glad to do that indeed. Well, that's all for this week's edition of The Painful Truth. Thanks so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you here with me virtually as part of this conversation. Do get in touch by email or on the website by leaving a comment and let me know what you think. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.